Hey, Drew Scott here, and I'm Jonathan Scott, reminding you that life's better with a home policy from American Family Insurance. They can help you get just the right protection at just the right price and help you save when you bundle home and auto. Kind of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It'll be just right for you. We love a custom build. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote and find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. Hey everyone, it's Mike. First in this bonus episode, it is an interview with Dior who plays Clarice, and then we'll have a little break and I'll talk about what interviews we're doing, what the production people knew. What's good? Thank you, everyone, so much for tuning into this episode of The Newest Olympian. My name is Mike Schuber. I'm the titular Newest Olympian. I'm a grown man who never read the Percy Jackson books as a kid, but I read them as an adult. And then I started getting involved in the TV show by interviewing folks who were involved in the production. And we have another very special interview today with Dior Gajan, who plays Clarice Dior, how's it going? It is going phenomenal. Thank you so much. How are you? I'm doing very well. I'm very happy. We're recording this one on December 20th, so the premiere has taken place. Percy Jackson and the Olympians is live. Disney Plus shocked the world by releasing it early. Did you know they were going to release it early, or was it a surprise to you as well? It was a little bit of a surprise to me, but we had a tip-off. They were like, listen, guys, this is what we're doing. (laughs) You're going to post about it, and it's going to be great. And I was like, okay. Cool. Yeah, because I saw Leah, who plays Annabeth, posted a little thing like, see you all tonight. And yes, I mean I tonight. tonight. Which I- yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> it's always good. I'm a big basketball fan, so I love a cryptic social media post. But I like that Leah put the cryptic thing and then was like, by the way, uh, a little less cryptic. <laughs> <laughs> I love that girl. Oh, my God. She's everything. She's fantastic. And you're fantastic. Episode two is one of the two that came out. Episode two, which I think should be called, like, yes, Supreme Lord of the Bathroom is a good title. But I think it is the Clarice show when you really think about it. How excited are you now that the episode is out? Obviously, the show is out, but episode two is like really where the bulk of your scenes are. How do you feel now that episode two is out and everyone's seen it? I don't have any words. I'm grateful. I'm nervous. I'm excited. I'm all the things at the same time. From what I've seen from the fans, which I love, I love that like they tag me and everything and I can like see what they're up to for it. From what I'm seeing, I gave them what they wanted, which is the only thing that makes me happy at this point, to be honest with you. So <laughs> I'm just glad that I delivered, at least, I hope, to to the people that do think I delivered. Yeah. I think so. I feel like from the fan reception, whether that is the applause that was at the premiere <laughs> when we are there, seeing it, the whole crowd went wild when you showed up on the screen. And I believe, because you and I were talking at the premiere, you were seated next to Jason Manzukis. Is that oh correct? Oh my God, I was seated next to Jason Manzukis. It's like the best moment of my entire life. <laughs> Did you know that you were going to be seated next to him? Was it completely just by chance? It was, I had no idea. I show, I, I just showed up and I went where they told me to go. And I'm like, oh, la da whatever, whatever, sitting down. And then I look in my row and I'm like, Jason. She's like, who? I'm like, Jason. (laughs) As far as the premiere, though, you were there with your family. Did they have a fun time? What was that like for all of you to be there at the Met to see the show on the big screen? It was a dream come true. My mom and dad were having a field day. My dad was here (laughs) chatting up like, hey, you see? Yep, that's my daughter. That's my daughter. And my mom was like, Troy, calm down. 
It was so goofy, though. I love them so much. Oh, that's great. I love that dynamic. That's really fun. Yeah. Now, it wasn't just the premiere that you were in New York for. You got to, along with the cast, do some fun New York City things. Yeah. I know. I think you guys were all in Times Square. What was your favorite thing that you did when you were in New York? Definitely seeing the billboard in Times Square with everybody. It was a like a big thing. We were like going to take pictures for Percy series, the Instagram. And funny story about that, actually. Charlie and I had gone to the gym earlier that day and... You know, I mean, Charlie's Charlie, so he can work out for five minutes and then look jacked. It's also just me, though. Like, I spend hours in there because just because I move slow. And so I'm in there, la-di-da-di-da, I take my shower, whatever, everything's fine. Then I get a call from Charlie, like, where are you? You need to be here right now. I'm like, what do you mean right now? And he's like, we're all in Times Square. We're going to go take pictures. They're freezing the billboard in, like, five minutes, run. So I am like, okay. I leave all of my belongings in the locker at the gym and I run from Rockefeller to Times Square with my jacket unzipped because I'm like, who has time to zip up their puffer right now? So I'm just mm-hmm. Usain Bolting it in the middle of New York. Like, and I, honestly, it was kind of cutesy. I had like a little like movie moment, like running through the streets of New York. I love it. I love it. That's the joy. I live in New York. I love the things that can happen in New York where sometimes even the most mundane or silly tasks, you look around and you're like, oh, I'm in one of the most famous places on earth. Like how, how upset, how stressed can I be? Exactly. (laughs) Dude, I caught the bug. I caught the bug when I was over there. I want to move so bad. It's a good look. Even if it's just for six months, like just put me over there just for a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, look, I'm very biased, but I think it's the greatest city on earth. So <laughs> it's a it's a pretty good town. What was your favorite thing that you ate? Did you get any classic like New York City food while you were okay. in town? I went to Junior's and I got the famous Junior's strawberry cheesecake. And it was the okay thing to ever uh-huh. enter like my vicinity in my life. I wanted to stop at the Halal Guys, like one of those stands, but I didn't get to. Next time. Next time. Halal Guys is good. It's no joke. It's quality, quality stuff. So we've talked about the premiere, we've talked about the show, but let's take it all the way back to the beginning. When it comes to auditioning, casting, all that kind of stuff, what was the process that led from you considering the role to ultimately being cast and then filming for the role? So it was actually kind of strange and funny, mainly because I was like all the way across the globe when I got my audition. So it was about end of 2021, beginning 2022, when like my audition process really, really started. When COVID happened, let's put it this way. When COVID happened, my mom decided, I'm half Persian. So my mom decided that she wanted to move back to Iran. So since COVID, I'm like halfway, I live six months in Iran, six months in the States. And so around that time, we were in LA, like I had finished shooting something. I can't remember what it was, but we were in LA and I had finished shooting something. We're getting ready to go home. And um, I'm like, standing there, whatever, whatever. And I get my email saying that I have an audition for Percy Jackson and the Olympians. And my first thought was really me? Because while I was shooting, one of my friends had had an audition for Percy and I read lines with him and I was like, "Hmm, it'd be so cool to do something like this. But like, I don't know, it's all like Greek mythology. Like maybe I'm not like the right fit for it. And so then I get the audition in my inbox. I'm like, "Hmm, okay. I do the audition kind of in a hurry, to be honest with you, because we were trying to get ready to get on a plane and go across the globe. And so I do it. I don't hear back for maybe like a couple months, like maybe like a couple weeks, like a month and a half. And then I get the call back. I send in another tape. And then after that, I'm in Iran and I have, they say, hey, you have a session with 
Dan and James, the director. And uh, I was talking with my acting coach. I'm like, what can I do to like set myself apart? Like, what can I do to like really like get in there and show them that I can be good for this? And he was like, well, you could always do choreography. Like, do you have anything that looks like a spear? And so I took a part. I have like, I had like a recording situation because I make music. So I had a recording situation in my room. I took apart my mic stand and put tin foil on the end of the stick of my mic stand to like make an electric spear. And I did like, like mock choreography of like, because my audition scene was the capture the flag scene. Oh, cool. Yeah. So I'd had like my mock choreography of my thing. And I ended up smashing my laptop in the middle of the <laughs> in the middle of the audition. But hey, they loved it, I guess, because I'm here. Can't argue with the results. Yeah. <laughs> First of all, I had ripped the paint off of the ceiling because I put up a little sheet and I was like, it needs to stay up, but like it has to be flat. So I put command hooks on the ceiling. It was falling off left and right. My poor mom and her poor ceiling. But the paint came off the ceiling. I smashed my laptop with a mic stand, but it got me here. It was all worth it. Yeah, it it's all, all it. meant to be. <laughs> that is incredible. That is so incredible. So you end up getting cast as Clarice. And at that point, show starts moving along. When you're getting into some of the fun things like hair, makeup, costume, were you excited? Were the camo pants and the boots, were you feeling that? Was that not your style? Once you're in Clarice mode, how did you feel? I felt like a total badass it was so cool like hair and makeup oh my god we have the coolest the best hair and makeup team first of all maddie that's my girl me and her will be in the makeup trailer just like talking and talking and talking but i love her so much and she was like we need to make you look dirty like we need to make you look dirtier so (laughs) i remember we put like all this like fake mud like all over like all over my face it was so fun and then i remember when we were doing the fitting for her capture the flag outfit the camo pants as soon as i saw the camo pants i was like yeah that's it that's it right there Mm -hmm. it was so awesome it was so awesome and then i got my bandana i wanted to put it up here but they refused to give me the cut off sleeves so we put it on the wrist Okay, yeah, because I think the cutoff sleeves, they were saving it for Hephaestus Cabin, so they I guess they didn't want to have the confusion there. Yeah. When it is costuming, do you get any say like with your personal style, or is it just kind of like they tell you, this is what you're doing, wear it like this, or do you get to have any input? Honestly, with Percy, I was very go with the flow, very, very much go with the flow, especially because the character is already developed. There's already a specific image for her. So I was kind of just like, you know what? I'm going to let y'all do your thing. But one thing, though, is spiritual girly here. I'm always wearing like a million different like crystal bracelets. And so um, when I went for my first fitting, they saw the bracelets and they were like, we have to do something with that. So I have like cool like leather stacks and stuff like that on my wrist. So that's the one thing like Dior-ism that's in there. That's cool. That's cool. You are bringing something to the table. You know, some Rick had his writing, but now you've got the personal style. The and now you've got... Yeah, that is super cool. That's super cool. So in episode two, one of the other scenes you're doing is the Supreme Lord of the Bathroom scene where Percy recognizes his water powers. Clarice gets doused with a bunch of toilet water. I'm assuming they used regular water. But for filming that, did it take a lot of takes? Are you just wet for the whole day? Like, how does filming that go? Yeah, actually, ooh, you're getting a little sneak peek. I was about to post that content on my Instagram. They have (laughs) in a wetsuit underneath my camp like attire uh-huh. and like they had like i think five or six hundred gallon tanks lined up behind this like cabin in um what's it called the soundstage and mm-hmm. 
I was wet the entire day. I was wet the entire day. But you know what? I had fun. It was worth it. And were you doing stunt stuff? Because the water kind of pushes Clarice back. Were Were you the one getting yanked? Oh. Were there stunt doubles or CGI? I wish I was the one getting yanked. I asked them. I begged and I pleaded. They were like, no, you're a minor. If you break something, that's not happening. <laughs> so my girl, Nilu, actually, she's my stunt double. She's amazing. I love her so much. Um, they hooked her up on some cables and flung her back. And then I kind of just like, I stepped in and laid on the floor in water. Nice. And then got back. <laughs> yeah, well, you will have to see maybe, you know, show goes along, future season, season five. You're like, look, full-fledged adult, let me do the I, scenes. I will take responsibility <laughs> if something breaks. Serious, I'm so dead. Drink a bunch of milk, get that calcium up, <laughs> say, look, my bones are strong. I'm I've strong. been having vitamin D for years. <laughs> So then during Capture the Flag, there is one particular moment that I loved when Percy gets scared and kind of runs away. Mm -hmm. Before you chase after him, you let out just like this little menacing laugh. And I thought it was incredibly convincing. Is that particular laugh something that you practice? Is it something that came naturally? Were you like in the mirror trying to become more and more sadistic with the laugh? How does that all come to be? It was kind of like we did a bunch of takes where I was super serious. And then James, he walks up, he takes his headphones off. He's like, just have fun. Have fun. Enjoy it a little bit more. And I'm like, okay. And so I kind of just, when I was like, what would I do if, as I, it kind of, it was a switch from less of like, I am going to murder this kid. I have to prove something and change more into a thing of like, oh, this is fun. Look at me, scared of me. I think it's a good change because I think, it makes it more terrifying because it's not like what you would think is the natural reaction, which if you're just screaming and yelling, sure. But when you're having fun with it, it's kind of like the, you know, cat playing with its food kind of thing. Okay. And then it's like, oh, no, because it's not only you get the fear, but it's also like she looks like she's having oh, too she much fun with this. It. Like it gets that unsettling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, Percy, in the first interaction when you meet him, though, like he basically says, one syllable to you and Clarice just pushes him over. Is that something that you had to choreograph with Walker to make sure you're not like pushing him over? Are there stunt people involved in a fall that small? How does that go? Walker is the precious cargo. That's all I'm going to say. Walker is the precious cargo. We actually had, for Capture the Flag scene, they had a full iron spear for me to use. And they were like, mm, maybe not. We don't want you to kill the kid on accident. And so, but yeah, for the fall, for that thing where I shove him and push him, there was an entire little like conversation about how he was going to fall, how hard I was going to push him. There was a little mat. We like tested it out a couple of times and then, yeah, all of that. That's good. Yeah. Got to keep him safe. Understandable. Got to keep the boy safe. Yeah. No, <laughs> you, you mentioned having a big iron spear. I think one of the greatest moments from you in that capture of the flag scene is when you bust out Ares' spear, slam it down, the sparks start flying. And I think it's a really important scene because everyone who's read the books knows the importance of the spear. They know it's a gift from Ares. They know that it's like your prized possession. But in the TV show, there's no dialogue. It's not like someone says, oh, hey, Clarice, it's your favorite spear that you got from your dad. Like you don't have the opportunity to convey that via dialogue. The only way you get to do that is just the loving look that you give to the tip of the spear once it's sparking. Was that something that was an intentional choice where, you know, whether that's the director or anyone else telling you what to do, I think it conveyed perfectly what went into just that little moment. Beautiful. Um, 
what I will say, it, I did a lot of um, character develop. Clarice was already developed, of course, as you know, but I did a lot of personal character development for her. And so it wasn't necessary. It wasn't a conscious thing. It kind of just happened because uh, your job is to put in the work beforehand and then forget all of it when you come to set so that it's authentic and real and in real time. So I I would say it wasn't a conscious decision. It kind of just happened. And I'm glad it happened the way that it did for sure. Nice. And was that prep work, was that reading the original books, looking up stuff about the character? What went into it? Of course. Um, I'm still in the process of reading the books actually right now, but it was a lot, a lot of hours up at 3 a.m. going deep, 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 deep into like Riordan, like wiki fandom and all that stuff and just learning as much as I can, not just about the series, but about Clarice specifically. Like I tried to find the deep cut stuff like about Clarice so I could mix and master another thing that i do is like i write um once i have enough information typically for each character i'll write like a little biography i know sydney sweeney does the same thing but she writes entire books i write little like bios on my character uh and so that's what i did i studied a lot a lot a lot about the deep cut stuff about clarice and put it all together in my little my little mini book Nice. Now, obviously, we'll hope that there are future seasons and stuff. Was there anything either from your reading or your deep dives? Is there a particular Clarice scene that you're like, oh, man, if we get to season whatever and I get to do this, is there something you'd like very particularly be excited about acting out? When I go Super Saiyan and slay the dragon. Okay. That? Yeah. I mean. <laughs> that top tier Clarice moment right there. I'm so ready for that. So ready. But I mean, that's like, how old? I'll be like, what? 21 shooting that if we get there i would like to say when we get there but yes <laughs> let's manifest <laughs> but i mean yeah that is if if you pulled a bunch of pjo fans about the scene i think everyone's going to be picking that if not something that you've already filmed and just the dragon parading around after oh, like yeah. that's that's going to be good stuff oh, that'll yeah. be great let's hope we get there oh yeah so when it comes to acting in the show specifically, I know they used the volume a lot. Huge TV screen that can basically replace a blue screen or a green screen. Yeah. What was it like acting in front of it? Was this your first time doing it? What was the experience like? The volume is out of this world. It it makes you feel like small. It's huge, like properly gigantic. It's so beautiful and so amazing. Sadly, I didn't have any scenes on the volume. Everything I did... Mm -hmm. The only thing that I did um, that wasn't practical was the Lord of the Bathroom scene. That was shot in the mm -hmm. but everything else I did was practical. It was outside. But I saw the volume for the very first time when Arian was shooting his scene, meeting up with the Cloven Council. And that was like magic. That was, it was so beautiful. Like it's the screen, what we got on camera doesn't even do it justice to how it looks in person. That's really cool. Yeah. I also heard from some of the production folks, I think Dan and John were talking about how on the, the last day of one of the shoots, mm -hmm. they used the volume and they hooked up Mario Kart. Were you there for the Mario Kart day on the volume? Oh, I wish I heard about it in the group chat and I was like, man. <laughs> Are you a solid Mario Kart player? Were you, were you upset because you could beat them all? I'm not saying I'm good. But I am saying I have passion. Mm. Who's your character? Princess Beach. 
Good call. Classic. Peach or Toad. It's Princess Peach or Toad. All right. I'm a big Toad guy. I like Toad in N64 Mario Kart. That's always my pick. He's just, just his yells of excitement when you use uh-huh. the mushrooms, those wahoos. Like, come on. How do you not him. love it? He's so cute. Adorable. Adorable. So something else that went along with acting is that when you're acting with scenes with Chiron, Glenn is on top of a horse. Yeah. What was it like acting alongside a man on top of a horse. <laughs> it was awesome because Glenn is Glenn. It was yeah. awesome because Glenn is Glenn. He, <laughs> I wonder if they're ever going to put these out. When we were, again, when we were shooting that scene where Percy's picking who he's going to bring with him on the quest, he, it comes to a line where he's announcing the people that Walker has chosen. And he kept saying, and Annabelle Chase. Probably like 11 takes. But it was so perfect and no one could get mad because it's Glenn. It was so good. Yeah, no, he's great. I love him. That's fun. Like, I can't blame him. Him and Leah are related. I had no idea. In what way? I think he's like her like far removed like god uncle or something or something like that. All I know is that they're related and I'm like small world because Leah's family knows my family from back when. His dad worked at the Chrysler factory that my aunt Linda worked at. Wow. Insane. Look at all these connections. That's incredible. Insane. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. I mean, you've got these connections, but just my impression that I got from meeting everyone on the production team, getting to meet you and some of the other actors at the premiere, it just seems like everyone is so cohesive. Everyone seems to work together, even if the jobs are different. Like you've got Tish, the costume designer, in line with the VFX guys. It just feels like it's such a happy family. Is that true behind the camera? It feels like everyone loves each other. And I think that conveys into the show. It is 100%. I adore the kids. Charlie and I call them the kids, but they're literally the same age as me. I adore everybody. Everybody on that set. Everyone's putting in so much work. Everybody's putting their blood, sweat, and tears into it. But Everyone still makes sure that it's a good time and everyone's constantly checking in on each other. It's honestly probably one of the healthiest sets that I've ever been on. That's really nice. That's good to hear. All right. We only have time for one more question. So I saved this one for last. You mentioned music stuff. (laughs) You have posted music things on Instagram. And I don't know if you've seen the tweet from a couple years ago, but Olivia Rodrigo once tweeted that she wrote a bunch of cringe Percy Jackson songs. (laughs) Are you going to try to get her to release those? Do you want to do a collaboration? Is there anything that could come from this? Because it feels like the world needs the Dior Good John X Olivia Rodrigo Percy Jackson musical combo album if olivia is watching this girl it is on site text me text me yeah no i think i think the world needs it and i think the world deserves it as well get yeah. guitar right. songs out you know <laughs> yeah i think it'd be great amazing olivia go text her make it happen Come and on, girl. the world it's will not- thank you <laughs> Uh, Well, Dior, thank you so much for coming on, for chatting, giving some wonderful stories. Truly, the show's fantastic. Your performance is fantastic. And congratulations for all of the success and for what lies ahead. Things are going to be great. So much for having me on, man. It was awesome talking to you. Of course. Have a good one. Thank you. You too. Wasn't that great? What a nice person. What an interesting acting process. Look at these fun behind the scenes things that Dior revealed. Overall, what a fun chat. Thank you all so much for listening. Thank you for continuing to listen to this episode. I'm posting this one on Christmas 2023. So if you celebrate Christmas, Merry Christmas. If you do not celebrate Christmas, I hope you have a good December 25th and overall a good holiday season. And if you're in Australia, I hope you're having a good December 26th. (laughs)
In the back half of this episode, we have more interviews with the production staff that cover any sort of thing from episodes one and two of the TV show. The first is going to be from Rick and Becky Riordan. I had to ask them a very, very important question. The way this roundtable worked was me and some other podcasters submitted questions and then they read them off to Rick and Becky so they didn't know that I asked it. But this was the question that got saved for the end because it was the silliest. But you better believe it was my number one out of five questions that I was able to submit. I'm so thankful that they answered it. And here is that question and response. Okay, one last question. I thought this was a fun one. Uh, so you know, you've mentioned the show, the opportunity to expand the world a lot. So keeping that in mind, how important for you was it in episode one to establish that Sal is a Knicks fan and is a personal Knicks fan also? <laughs> Uh, I think that was also John. Uh, I don't think we were necessarily pitching that, but it, it certainly is very important. Didn't you have, it was originally baseball. I think it was going to be the Yankees and the Red Sox um, game um, was, because yeah. it's the summer um, and it ended up being the Knicks. And I, that was just a compromise. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it works, you know. And, and it, you know, because it's sort of like they're the underdogs, right? The, yeah. the Knicks, so. The next clips that you're going to hear are from the interview I did with John Steinberg, who is an executive producer and a co-creator of the show, Dan Schatz, who's an executive producer, and James Bobbin, who is an executive producer and the director of the first two episodes. We touch on some very important subjects, notably my beloved New York Knickerbockers, as well as the pigeons that showed up in episode one. But before we get into this interview and the rest of the interviews, just going to take a quick break for some ads, just because this bonus episode is basically as long as a full-fledged episode and I like being a full-time professional podcaster and having ads on episodes helps. So you'll hear some quick ads and once they're complete, we will get into the rest of this episode and the rest of the interviews. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device, or play on PC through Facebook games. So, something that I learned from interviewing Rick and Becky yesterday, John, Becky said that it was your call to make Sally Jackson canonically a Knicks fan. And as a lifelong Knicks fan, first <laughs> off, I just I just want to thank you so much. And I and I also just want to know what led to establishing that? Was there any particular reason of like this is important? Obviously, I saw it in the text when I read the books. So of course he's gonna root for the Knicks, but what led to that finding its way into the episode? <laughs> um uh, there's a lot of silly answers to that question, but I'll, I'll give you a real one. Like, I think, um, it was actually, it was really important to me that I understood what Sally and Gabe were in a way, um, that made enough sense that I didn't feel like I needed a lot of explanation. Um, I also didn't really, this was a, to me, honestly, like this was one of the biggest departures from the book, I think, 
which is probably a good thing that this is what we're talking about is the biggest departure. But um, I felt like as part of investing in Sally and liking her, he didn't want to feel like she was living with somebody who was really cruel to her. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to feel like she was living in um, George Costanza's parents' house. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Love language was just yelling at each other. Yeah. yeah. Kind of. um, and it's just bizarre, but there, but the two of them are so talented and charming and Virginia is amazing. And she can be a woman who we believe was like us, like, the partner to Poseidon and then arguing with this idiot about, you know, his sandwich and the next thing <laughs> and, and you buy them both. Yeah. Um, and, and so I think that's, that's really where it came from is you wanted to feel like um, she had some code switching. She had to be responsible for too, yeah, um, yeah. you know, in, in the same way, you know, she doesn't go to camp and, and she's not part God, but she does exist in both of those worlds in a meaningful way. Um, and I, and I think you got to see both sides of that and a compelling rate of to buy it. Yeah. I'm not. Yeah, oh, <laughs> like, yeah. Well, there's, I, I, there's, there's also a wall. If you notice in Gabe's living room, there's a Zach Wilson. That was shirt. my next question. So my next question was: uh, Was that an intentional thing where you were like, "We need to vaguely time set it since you joined the team in 2021," or was it just like a set thing? And you're like, "Well, now canonically, it couldn't have happened right. earlier." Uh, <laughs> Friends who are Jets fans had a hard time about Gabe being a Zach Wilson. But it, that was the art department. They 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 got New York uh, New York apartment of compulsive gambler down to a T. Yeah. So mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really fun. Was there anything, I guess, just like over the course of the show that you were working on, I guess anything that like we didn't think this was going to find its way in and then now seeing the final episodes are like, well, that's in the show. There's lots yeah. of walkerisms. Like Walker's quite a joker in real life and saying so you'll see him do the tap thing, this. Oh, that, I loved that. I it felt very classy to me. So I said, do that. Oh, he does it all the time to everybody on set. And and yeah. when they leave the car, I think she goes, We'll go in three, two, and he runs on two. Because that's a classic, again, walkerism. So mm-hmm. these are things that he brings. That's um, fantastic. Because that is just really makes that character alive. And it feels very personal to me, too. Very much feels like if you if Rick hadn't written that, I wouldn't be surprised that was written somewhere down by Rick. His earlier notes, the early draft, that was in the room. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I think that I mean I think that's really cool just because I, when I saw that I was like this is perfectly capturing the dynamic of Walker and or I guess sorry of Percy and Sally but I guess this is you know true to form why Rick keeps saying Walker is Percy you have to do it really quickly I mean mm-hmm. there aren't that there's many scenes with the two of them in it before she's not in the story in a regular way so it's uh in and and so much credit goes to John and to, and to Rick and and then these moments that that James found on the day that just you wanted to just feel like this connection was very quickly you get oh my god you get that this is the most important thing to both of them yeah you know, that the, the, this relationship is everything to both of them. Mm-hmm. So my podcast, The New is a very pro-pigeon podcast. I love pigeons. I'm, you know, here in New York, it's a big thing for oh, me. So I, I, I audibly, sc- I screamed out loud when I saw the pigeons outside of the Met. So I have to know, did you, did you like, how, how did you get the pigeons? Was there a pigeon handler? Was there bird feed? Yeah, yeah, yes, yes, yes. So whenever you have animals, if they're animal wranglers, I, I, I was like, literally when I was doing the plans for the shoot of the Met exterior, I was saying, we will need animals of some sort, be it rats or pigeons. <laughs> or 
pictures are probably a bit more picturesque. And yeah. The pictures in the foreground of the shot are incredibly important. They all set all day, and they're back around. And, but that one shot you sort of see through them to, to Bruno is so important because it just makes you feel like you're outside. We have wind on them, obviously, but we are really on a stage in Vancouver, and we're supposed to be on the street in New York, and that's what pigeons to me said that more than anything else. So I'm really glad you noticed the pigeons oh, yeah. because they were super important to me. Too. The American Humane Society was there. Yeah. Good. <laughs> Amazing. This next clip you'll hear is from folks that you have not heard any audio from. I did a very fun interview with Eric Henry, who's a VFX supervisor, and Jeff White, who is another VFX supervisor, I believe specifically the ILM VFX supervisor, meaning he's in charge of the volume, I think. But I had a wonderful chat with those folks, and here are all of the things about episode one and episode two VFX things. I appreciate that when you see some of the magical items, there feels like it's not just the visual effects, but there's emotions behind it. Like the first time Percy uses his water powers, the first time he uses Riptide, Annabeth with the invisibility hat. These are all things that are so important to the characters. So coming at it from the visual effects perspective, how do you work to try and understand like these are emotional scenes it's more than just seeing something that looks cool this is something that's important to the character how does that factor into the visuals well that's a good question um yes it was interesting riptide's a great example because in the in the last interview they were asking like well how do you what do you reference for this it's like well we always Mm -hmm. start with the book but the book says the pen turns to a sword (laughs) there's a long road between the you know how you get one thing to the other and i think that was such a fun collaboration because we were standing on set filming the scene, trying to figure it out. And I think Eric, rightly so, was the most concerned. It just looks like a lightsaber. You know, how do you avoid something just growing? Yeah. Out? You had the idea of uh, having it grow from the center. And what was so cool is when the first trailer came out, you do feel the emotion of that moment. Like his mom is captured. He deploys Riptide, you know, in a, in the, in the first wave where it feels purposeful for him, which is right, different right. than the boys in New York. And it's a it's a cool effect at night. Yeah, and and I uh you know, and to me that's one of the most successful ones. And um and it may be simple, but the Annabeth uh is another one where emotionally I I, I totally understand that that you look at it and you say, what are you gonna do? to make it more interesting (laughs) having her wipe on and wipe off and i think you know jeff and his team came up with a with some great ideas on on how to you know kind of shift the sort of air in that area so it's it's subtle and that's all we wanted was was subtle um because it can get so cheesy real quickly yeah and i i think it's it's that and there's a little bit of um you know, th- these are all just smatterings of ideas that got in there that all make it come together in a way that's much more elegant uh, was uh, there's a little, um, you know, like chromatic aberration that happens as well on the, over the background as this sort of warping happens. And and we also did something fun where you had to do it. She walks away and you see her feet. And yeah, like, it's great. A, a leaf moves or something as she walks away. It's you know what? That's I think that stuff is just so fun for the audience, and mm-hmm. and we had fun doing it. We had fun, you know, coming up with stuff like that to to make sure that the audience, you know, feels you know they're they're with us. They're like, yeah, love it. You know, a little mm-hmm. 
little little tweaks and such that make you feel like you're um the, like they're involved they're in on the joke sort of thing yeah so similarly, something that we, you know, obviously no spoilers, the scenes where someone who I would guess is Kronos is showing up in Percy's dreams, but you at least just have a vague, distant character with like maybe a lantern and it's kind of in the darkness and the wind. And, you know, Percy's confused. The audience is supposed to be confused. But I'm just curious from a VFX perspective, like, do you make a high, a full high res image of something? And then you're like, OK, let's make it very, very small and a little blurry. Like, how do you go and make something that is intentionally tricky for the audience to see exactly what's going on without it being confusing. I was just going to say, it, it, it is absolutely intentionally hidden back there in, in that instance, um, because that's what, you know, John and Dan really wanted to do. But, you know, Jeff can tell you uh, that there is, you know, one asset and, you know, very high resolution. And then you can go and do things like putting it in the background. What's really fun and kind of a, a tough recalibration when you come from VFX in working with John and Dan is they always pick the camera that's right for the story, mm -hmm. not what we want for VFX. <laughs> yeah, I'm constantly trying to get close in on our characters because I love to show them off. But it's great because John will be like, no, you know, for this scene, like a great example is the Minotaur fight. You experienced a lot of it from Percy's perspective way across the field. But in a way that almost heightens the emotion than if all the shots were just right there with the Minotaur and the mom. Like you're seeing how helpless he is from across the field. And, you know, it sort of works a little bit counter to how we think sometimes in VFX. And I think that that is the perspective the showrunners bring that's so important in terms of, you know, narratively, what's the best camera, you know, for this shot. Reining us in sometimes. Absolutely. Uh, you know, it's like, oh, this animation is so good. It's like, yeah, but we're, you know, the camera's going to be doing this. <laughs> and finally, these clips are from the interview that I did with Dan Henna, who is the production designer, and Tish Monahan, who is the costume designer. Talked about some set stuff and talked about the very cool costume that you see when Grover goes to the Council of Cloven Elders. Oh, super fun stuff. Super fun people. Here's the audio. Dad, something that I thought was great in episode one, something that bugs me so much in other medium is you will see people in New York apartments that are gigantic and seeing Gabe and Sally's place in New York, like it is appropriately small and it looks accurate. How do you toe the line between, you know, making something that is a set, but still making it feel tight so it's authentic, but not cramped? Uh, floating walls are a big help, you know, uh, so you can float a wall out and get a camera in and still have room for the crew. Uh, that's really important. But, uh, you know, the the whole um, scale of New York apartments is something that I came across years ago when I stayed with a friend uh, in a New York apartment, a very small, old, lovely place. <laughs> and it's been one of those things that you don't, you don't mess with the scale. You know, the moment you mess with the scale, you lose the whole feel. I mean, I could uh, walk into that apartment set that we built and feel as though I was in New York. And and the camera does the same thing, you know, and if you don't give it uh, the scale, it doesn't feel as though it's in New York or uh, certainly that anyone could afford it in mm -hmm. New York. So right. Soul of mother, you know, <laughs> like, come on. But, yeah, and interestingly, I was in, in New York a, a few weeks ago uh 
and it was a rainy day and I was walking around the streets and looking up the alleyways and seeing the backs of the apartments and it was just exactly what we we tried to achieve. Yeah, I think you absolutely nailed it. Something that I thought was really cool that I was not expecting, Tish, in episode two, we have someone who I'm assuming is a, a tree nymph, the person that Grover talks to before going into Elena. the council. Yes, that was so cool. Can you talk a little bit just about what all went into the costuming? Every Okay. I could talk forever about it. <laughs> it's, it's like my favorite, it's my favorite costume. It was like over like a thousand hours wow. to put together, but it, it's... um. I'll try and keep it short. <laughs> we had an actual tree that she was going to be positioned against. Oh. So we had detailed photographs taken of the tree. We had silk dyed to the, all of the tones that were within that tree. We had a lycra bodysuit that was photo uh, imaged with the the print of the bark underneath, not that you could ever see it. And then we mm-hmm. manufactured a costume that was comprised of many different colors of dyed silk to emulate the moss, to emulate bark. The silk was felted to make it look like it was, you know, natural like tree roots. And But we also combined it. A lot of my department on the weekends would go foraging in the forest and they would come <laughs> back and say, look what I found. And they would have a, like a big chunk of moss, a big chunk of bark, a big chunk, a, a stick. <laughs> so it's a combination of manufactured and specifically dyed fabrics that were felted to look like the actual tree. And then when we did the filming and they were getting ready to take the first shot, I stopped the director and I said, no, she has to lean like 10 degrees further out so that the line of the bark, oh, yeah. the lines of the bark in her tree and follows. But I just love that costume. I hope that there's enough lighting in there. I think it looks really cool. So don't don't worry. It came off. It looked spectacular. Okay. So those are all of the clips so far. There's still some audio from these interviews I will release later down the road, but I only want to release questions and answers about episode three things after episode three has aired and same thing with episode four. So those will be in the future. But what you can expect in the nearest of futures is this coming either late Tuesday or early Wednesday, an episode about the third episode of the TV show. And that will be with Stephen Para. And I hope you enjoy that episode as well. If this was your first time listening to the News Olympian, welcome aboard. I know I'm going to be sharing clips from this on social media, quotes from it as well. So if this is your first time, hello, welcome. Thank you for listening, especially thank you for listening all the way to the end. We're doing episodes about the TV show. I'm posting behind the scenes chats and stuff on off days. And we've got a whole bunch of other episodes where I go through the main five Percy Jackson books. And I'm going to be doing more stuff in the future like Heroes of Olympus later down the road. But no matter what your listening history is, thank you for listening to this episode. And until we cross paths again, I'll proceed later.
Thank you so much for listening to this bonus episode of The Newest Olympian. This podcast is created, hosted, and produced by me, Mike Schubert. I also run the social media and the website. Our editor is normally Sherry Guo, but for these little bonus episodes, I've been tackling all of the stuff. The music is by Bettina Kambamanas and Brandon Grugel, and the art is by Jessica E. Boyd. If you want to continue along following this journey, you can follow us on social media. We're at Newest Olympian on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. Facebook has Facebook groups where you can talk about the episodes and all sorts of other things. There's a spoilers welcome group where you can talk about anything Roy Ordenverse, and then there's a spoiler-free group which stays up to date with whatever the podcast is covering if you want to stay spoiler-free. We also have a subreddit, reddit.com slash r slash the newest Olympian. We've got a Patreon where you can get a whole bunch of bonus content. That's at the newest Olympian.com slash Patreon. You can get bonus audio, bonus video. You can get exclusive merchandise like stickers and pins and stuff like that. And if you go to our website, the newest Olympian.com, you can learn more about the show. You can check out our merch page, the newest Olympian.com slash merch, where you can get camp regular person shirts and TNO joke beads and pens and all sorts of other fun stuff. And also the newest Olympian.com slash live. You can go see if we're doing a live show near you. If you enjoy the show, telling a friend about it is really helpful. So you can reach out to someone directly. You can post about it on social media. Word of mouth just really helps podcasts. So if you enjoy the show, please talk about the show and I would appreciate it. We will be back very soon, either late Tuesday night or early Wednesday morning with a podcast episode covering episode three of the TV show with Stephen Para. I hope you enjoyed that. But until you do hear that, I'll see you later. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.